I think I've got Mr. Al Bat on the phone. Al, are you there? I am. Oh, yes, you are. Because I, uh, I called him just as the song was ending, so I didn't have a chance to see if you were actually there. How are you doing with all the snow and everything, Al? Oh, I'm doing fine. I raised my hand. I didn't know maybe that wasn't appropriate <laughs> on the radio. So I, I just, I, it's, it's a nice day again out there. And the, the snow is, is the snow and maybe it'll go and maybe it won't. I don't, you know, it's a little icy in spots. So everybody be really careful out there. It's, I hope everybody's snood and waddles are in good condition after the Thanksgiving and they had just the, the right amount to eat. Uh, the snood is that reddish, fleshy protuberance on the forehead of turkeys. Do people actually and eat that, Al? You know, I, I think people eat everything oh, at one time could. or another, whether we know it or not. I, I won't mention the name of the turkey plant that I worked as at <laughs> as a youth. Um, I don't know what they didn't eat from a turkey. Oh, uh, and I'll be honest, it put me off Turkey for a while okay. uh, working there. And I'm sure, you know, it's always the old uh, story about the sausage maker. You know, if you want to eat sausage, never watch it being made. And I've watched it being made, a blood sausage and everything else, and I, I still like it. I don't know. But it did put me off Turkey for a little while. And not that anybody else should go off Turkey, but it was just something about working in that plant that... Well, I don't know. Al, i got to tell you, that's what put me off eating meat uh, for 46 years now, I think, was, you know, when you're a kid and you're in 4-H and you show your little steer at the fair, mine were Arnold, Archibald, and Pixie. There's three three of them. And then you got had to sell them at the, the sale, and, you know, you grew attached to them. You named them. You worked with them every day. And then you sold them, and then you had to go to the locker and see them hanging there on that hook. That's what, no. you know, that's what turned me off to doing it anymore. So, you know, so yeah, and, and mine just, mine stuck and yours didn't. But yeah, it, it happens. You named a steer Pixie? Uh, well, yeah, there was Arnold, first one, and then Archibald, and then Pixie was my, uh, yeah, that was my uh, oh. third steer. They're, they were awesome. I, yeah, they were, Pixie was out of Trixie, by the way. Oh, okay. Makes well, sense. There was a reason. I was going to say otherwise, Pixie, oof. <laughs> kind of a tough name for a steer, but um, oh, I, I was uh, waddles. The waddles, waddles are those reddish, fleshy bits under the neck. So the snood is like the forehead, that reddish, fleshy protuberance, and then the fleshy bits under the turkey's neck are waddles. I have those too, Al. And, now that I'm getting older, those yeah. waddles, I hate them. <laughs> I think everybody at a certain age, unless they've had. Uh, Oh, what do they say at the barber shop or beauty shop? Work done. Yes. Uh, they probably are, are going to have waddles. It's just one of those things that comes about. But, you know, take um, look at a turkey. They have them, <laughs> and they seem to lead a fulfilling and wonderful life. And uh, so we can we can learn from turkeys. Many, many things we can learn from them. Yeah, I walked outside, and it's like the world had put on its winter coat, Karen. It's this heavy coat of snow. And I know that one day I drove through way too much snow, according to the National Weather Service anyway, to get to an important meeting, because they're all important. They're, otherwise, we wouldn't be going to them. And we complain about the weather forecast. Everybody does. Say, man, I wish, you know, I should have become a meteorologist, because you can be wrong all the time, and you still get a paycheck. 
what we should complain about is that they are far too accurate. They're, they're amazingly good. Just uh, take a notebook, write on their uh, weather forecast, and when they predict something, then you write down what they predicted and what really happened, and you, you'll be frightened. They're really, really good. And I came into the meeting, and another attendee asked how my drive to town was, because that's what we do. I was the first one there. I, and um, she came in said, how was your drive in? And I told her I'd seen a small flock of snow buntings, and those birds made the post-storm journey a delight. And I went on and on, prattling about snow buntings. <laughs> Never really got around to saying how the roads were or anything else. That was my drive in, where those birds... And when I came home, I saw 42 Canada geese. Yeah, I counted them. They flew over the yard in a lopsided V formation, a honk a lonk in their way south. The bird feeders had been really busy. So if you fill your feeders, the birds will come at least before a storm. And a rooster pheasant flew from the yard, and I heard him before I saw him. I was sorry to have bothered this handsome fellow. And male pheasants... You've probably all heard this. When they fly, they utter a series of loud, excited two-note calls when they flush, and it's difficult to assign a precise meaning to those cackles. They aren't really a flocking bird, although you might see them together in the winter because uh, they found a good place to winter up or a good place to eat. But they don't, they're not flocking birds. So I wouldn't think when they're flying they're warning other ones that there might be some danger. So I really don't know why they make that call. Uh, look around now for red oak, ironwood, and buckthorn because they're hanging onto their leaves. Uh, look for our friends the turkeys, deer, and squirrels digging through the snow in search of acorns. <clears throat> uh, the squirrels maybe checking uh, cached food. And it wouldn't necessarily be their cached food. It could be another squirrel's cached food, but they're probably digging that up. I saw a Eurasian collar dove in the yard. It had a black collar on the back of its neck under the feeders. It was where it was at. And it's a Euro Eurasian species, approximately the size of a morning dove. It's like a chunky morning dove. And it was accidentally introduced into the Bahamas in 1974. And by 1998, it was sighted in Minnesota. And it was here just, it was under the feeders. My wife was gone. By the time she got home, I, I couldn't find the bird, so I didn't even, I didn't tell her about it. You know, you can't. You can't share everything, especially if, if someone can't see it. You, oh, you should have been here earlier. I'm a birder. I go to a lot of places. I say, are you seeing the varied thrush? Oh, you should have been here like two hours ago. It was just everywhere, and we haven't seen it since. So, um, Speaking of uh, varied thrush, TJ, Tom Justin, and Medili had one a few years ago, and he just had a fox walking around town, walking oh. around Medelia. So I think that's a wonderful thing. Uh, Neil Bat, again, who is a long-suffering relative of mine, <laughs> uh, saw a barred owl in the Heartland area. Christopher Burke of Mankato saw some robins headed north. And I know some are saying, well, why would a robin head north? Well, they're going out to feed somewhere or maybe get a drink of water. They probably found some berries on a tree or they found something to go feed on. Uh, Betsy Kerr 
and had a lovely view of a small flock of swans flying overhead, complete with sound effects as if we, as we were raking our roof late Sunday afternoon. A small but priceless reward for lots of hard labor. Yeah, we rake our roofs. We have a roof rake. My wife gave it to me for, uh, oh my gosh, was it Christmas maybe? So I have a roof rake. Um, Robert Watson saw a Carolina wren in Mauer County. Uh, Chad Hines saw a Carolina wren in Blue Earth County. Aaron Peach saw a Eurasian collared dove in Nicollet County. And at the Bethany Hawk Watch, they uh, saw a golden eagle, which should be certainly rare. Uh, Jim Loggison, Ellendale Jim, uh, just a good guy. He said, uh, Al, we have a couple of bluebird houses we put out every year. Never get any bluebirds, but still try. We usually take them in every fall, but I noticed they were still being used, I believe just for shelter now. I decided to leave them up since they are still being occupied. Is it best to leave them up all winter and just clean them out in the spring? Uh, I'm going to tell you way more than you asked, Jim, because that's the way I am, I guess. I I think you nailed it. Uh, A box or cavity not only provides protection from the elements, it also keeps birds safe from hungry predators. Uh, Thus, it may be best to just leave boxes up all winter, and that's what uh, probably the greater proportion of people do. And that way they can be used for roosting if desired, not only by bluebirds, but by other birds. Also, that way you won't have that chore of going out in the cold and putting them back up before nesting starts. Some people, uh, not everybody, but some people weatherproof their standard nest boxes for the winter because they they want work involved in everything they do. How how do you do that? that. And do you need to do that? Um, You probably don't need to, but it's... It's not a bad idea. They weatherproof it to keep the drafts from chilling birds because the birds will go to the floor of the nest box. So if there's ventilation holes, some will seal them up. There's often holes on the bottom, the floor. Uh, People put duct tape on the outside, and if it sticks, that works well. You can use rolled caulking, and uh, only on the outside of the box again. And then add an inch or so of small wood chips. So avoid sawdust and commercially sold cedar bedding, and don't put large wood chips in there because they might even stick in a hole or something and trap a bird inside. Mm-hmm. And some folks even put a layer of soft grass or moss or something in there. Or you can line the floor with silver foil, which insulates and seals and bringing up the front of the nest box under the entrance hole and then add some dry grass to that. Or you can put in a half-inch styrofoam, uh, cut it to fit on the bottom of the nest box. And whether you decide to clean out the nest box at the end of the breeding season or not, uh, don't forget that leftover nesting materials make a perfect home for small mammals. So there's a good chance you might have mice come in there. So if mice occupy nest boxes, you should definitely clean the boxes in the spring by removing nest material and washing with maybe soapy water or some spray something in there. And you know everybody take precaution. I know a lot of say, 
a lot of people wear gloves and masks because removing rodent nests is just is probably a good idea to do that. Uh, rodents aren't uh, aren't very fastidious, so you just. I remember being in. Uh, oh gosh, was in Adams or Leroy? I know that each would be offended that I'd mistake it for the other one, but a guy took me out and showed me a, a bluebird box, and there was a good number of chickadees going in this bluebird box, and uh, because it was a really cold winter, as our winters are, and they were holing up in there for the winter, and they don't always like one another that much. They're not all that touchy-feely but when it gets cold they find uh, they find survival is enhanced by just being close to one another and warming up that way so yeah jim that's a real long answer to your wonderful question but yeah i i think leave them up and uh, just hope uh, good things we we do have bluebirds around i saw some here the other day I was going to ask you that because Grant thought he saw a bluebird. He he said it was a bluebird. He said maybe it was a blue jay, um, and he wasn't sure. So could it have been a bluebird, or was it more likely a blue jay he saw out in the yard? It would be more likely a blue jay, but it certainly could be a bluebird. Oh, okay. And uh, we typically, uh, the Christmas bird counts around the state do... uh, do dig up some bluebirds so there's some around and as the weather deepens then the, they lessen in numbers as they just said oh man i i really had it i'm i'm going south somewhere i don't care where i'm just going further south do any of them so stick it, around uh, al do, do any of those birds seem to stick around much or not we do get some that will uh, hang in here all winter it is hard on them. Mm-hmm. They are. Uh, they would be eating berries and things as the robins are. Uh, it's. We don't see near as many bluebirds as we do robins, but of course there's a lot more robins to begin with mm-hmm. than there are bluebirds. Sure. So that would stand to reason. But they're, they're they'd be like cousins. Uh, they're thrushes, so they are tough. Uh, little birds are much much tougher than they appear to be. And so they can they can hang around here, but for the most part, they're out of here. They want to go somewhere where life is, where life doesn't throw quite so many challenges at them. Every day is a challenge for a bird or a human, but they want to go somewhere where the weather's a little warmer and they just have to deal with finding food instead of maybe having to keep quite so warm. But I know you get uh, not far south of here and you'll see them pretty, much, pretty regularly. I got a, a interesting question for somebody, and uh, for those uh, farmers listening, they probably know the answer to this. But somebody said, "Do soybean aphids eat buckthorn?" Uh, they do feed on buckthorn. I don't know that they do much damage to it, but soybean aphids spend the winter as eggs on buckthorn, hmm. and it's a critical part of a soybean aphid life cycle. Aphid eggs hatch on buckthorn in the spring, and populations build there, generation, several generations, till they produce winged spring migrants that eventually colonize nearby, nearby soybean fields. That's uh, soybeans are the summer host of this aphid. Is that another soybean, reason to get rid of buckthorn? Is to maybe keep the numbers down? Yes, it is. Oh, okay. Yes, it is. That we. Plus, you know, it's uh, farmers have to deal with those soybean aphids out in their fields. Uh, 
there's just chemicals and everything involved. So yeah, if we could get rid of soybean aphids, that'd be wonderful. Uh, soybean fields with buckthorn nearby are often the first to be infested by aphids in the spring. So they come right from buckthorn out into the soybeans. They do have other host plants, but those are the two primary ones. And the aphids go through oh, many generations throughout the summer. And at the end of the soybean growing season, the aphids produce both male and female migrants. They fly to buckthorn, they mate and lay eggs, and again, the eggs survive over the winter. Uh, soybean aphids look like a lot of aphids. They're yellow, they're only a sixteenth of an inch long. They have distinctive tailpipes that are called cornicles on the tip of their abdomens. And there are a number of insect predators of soybean aphids, including the multicolored Asian lady beetle, Minute pirate bugs, which uh, some folks call them noceums, those tiny little guys that bite us, and then green lacewings, among others. And we have to remember that buckthorn was once sold in nurseries, mm -hmm. and 1,700 feet of buckthorn was planted as a hedge on the Minnesota State Capitol grounds. And, of course, it's since been removed and replaced with... Um, I, you know, I'm not sure what they, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on that. I don't remember what they replaced with one of the common hedge plants anyway. And Cotoneaster, maybe hedge, Cotoneaster. I was going to say either that or it. maybe an Arborvitae or something. Or Yeah, I'm going to go with Cotoneaster. Okay. And, and, just deal with it if I'm wrong on that, but I think that's what they did. So, yeah, and it... Oh, I was at a meeting, and a guy from the the state, one of the state offices, uh, I asked how much do they reckon that cost, and he said two hundred thousand dollars to remove. I don't know if that would be it. That would be, I would removed it for less than that. I think so. <laughs> um, a listener said, uh, "Thanks for KMSU." Well, yeah, thanks oh. for KMSU. I second that said, there is a possum in my yard, a sad-looking thing. Yeah, yeah, well, they have reason to be sad this time of year. Your, uh, you know, your tail freezes and your ears freeze and your food is all covered, but you got it going on because you can eat anything. You're happy to eat everything. You move really slow. You don't get probably too excited. If you do get excited, you faint in a, in a dead faint. This person, or listener, kind listener, asked, should I worry about rabies, about the possum having rabies? Oh. Any mammal can get rabies. <clears throat> but the, the chance of rabies occurring in a possum is very, very rare. It's thought that the possum's low body temperature makes it difficult for the virus to survive in a possum's body. So they're one of the less likely critters out there to have rabies. So that's a that's a good thing. And I I see them in my yard. I haven't now this uh, this cold uh, weather season, but uh, get them in the yard. Otherwise, uh, I saw a bunch of babies this summer here and. 
I know everybody will say, no, they're not, but they're so cute, little <laughs> possums. Just, I, so, I just love them. Al, since you brought them up, yeah. I got a note from uh, Santa Claus, and I think he <clears throat> might be related to our friend John in New Ulm for some reason, but got okay. a nice card from John. It says, greetings of the season, and it's got a, a pretty kitty on there, a, a cat. Of course, he knows I like cats, and it says, I think I know you like cats, so I'm sending this cat card. I love it. And a very nice Christmas card. Thank you, John. But he also talks about possums. He went and visited his, his dad up by Andover, and he said, I did see one cool thing one night. Uh, there was a possum and a raccoon trying to share some of the cat food for the stray cats. It was almost like the raccoon was a little scared of the possum, even though the raccoon was bigger. Are you there? Yeah. Yeah, so, so with the... Would that be true? Would the raccoon be scared of a possum, or shouldn't it be the other way around? What do you think? I would guess uh, a frighten would probably be too strong a turn. A wary, perhaps, uh, just thinking, you know, I don't want to have to deal with this guy. You know, look at all those teeth. <clears throat> I know I could take him, but he's got a lot of teeth. And um, bad weather brings a lot of strange bedfellows. You'll see a lot of things eating together maybe that wouldn't necessarily uh, choose the other one for a dinner partner. But they're ready to go in and eat because they say, boy, we're just trying to make it through the day. So, yeah, that's... And John sent out a Christmas card already. My God. I know. He's on the ball. And you know what? I also got uh, a text from him just now. That he said, this is an easy one for Alan. You know what happens when he says oh, easy one. Yeah. Okay. All right. Who gives presents to cats and dogs? Santa Paws. Yes. Ding, 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 ding. So oh, my God. You got hey, it. you know, I'm ringing bells today. I will ring them with extra gusto <laughs> now because I got one right. So yes. thanks, John, for I, I appreciate that. It's, it's nice to get help on these things. It's a, a beautiful day again. I hope everybody gets outside and enjoys the winter day because it will get colder. So we have to take that into account and enjoy the niceness when we have it. And, John, I, again, I appreciate you listening and the Christmas card. I One year I sent Christmas cards out in July, <laughs> and my family considered having me committed. I got notes from aunts saying, was this for this year or was this for last year? Were you like getting them out last year? And I thought I was being so clever, getting ahead of the game, and I sent it with a Christmas letter and telling them it's like uh, 89 degrees and I, <laughs> I wish you a Merry Christmas. And it didn't go over. It went over like a lead balloon. Aww. So I, now I wait. I have a, a niece who we share an age. She's the same age as I am. She lives in Andover. And her name is Georgette Bauman, and she is my first Christmas card every year. And when Georgette comes, then I <clears throat> I think about, you know, getting uh, stamps anyway, and I start uh, thinking about mailing stuff out. But she is the first one, and I bet every family has somebody like that that's the first one, just decides, uh, boy, as soon as December gets near or maybe December 1st hits, to get those Christmas cards out. And I admire people that do that. I'm, I'm, 
I see. Other than the year I sent them out in July, <laughs> I haven't really been that good at that. Well, you know, last I year got... I just missed completely. It just the time went and came and went, and I'm like, well, I'll get them out, you know, the first of the year. Never did. So I had to write a little note on there saying we did not drop you off of our Christmas list mailing list. It's just that we didn't send any out last year. So so they get one this year, and and then I didn't have to write so much. I just summed it up in real easy, quick, and. <laughs> And at least, at least I got something out that way. I figured. And I know uh, email and uh, you know, Facebook and things have certainly made made inroads into into Christmas cards. But <clears throat> I still enjoy getting Christmas cards. There's something about them, and I enjoy the nice a nice note and just. Saying I hope you haven't got any dumber over the year and those kind of things, you know, they they perk you up a little bit. And uh, oh, uh, some with the young families, it's nice to get a a picture showing how much the kids have grown since since last year's Christmas card. So I still enjoy getting those. And and I realize, that, as I say, Facebook is Facebook primarily has really changed a lot of that. Speaking of Facebook, I got a, uh, a note from the Hammer Museum in Haines, Alaska, that they put up a plaque with my name on it there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's because uh, dumb as a bag of hammers is why they put it up there. <laughs> so there'll be people coming in cruise ships and saying, who is this Albat guy and why is he dumb as a bag of hammers? But it, it's a wonderful museum in Haines, Alaska, and uh, I love going there. And it is hammers, every kind of hammer you could ever dream of. There's a 36-pound claw hammer there. Uh, there's all these weird hammers. There's hammers that banks used to use to cancel checks. There's actually killing hammers, which are kind of creepy, that were used in ceremonies. There's just every kind of hammer you could ever dream of, or ever want to see. And they have them all displayed there, and as far as I know, it's the only hammer museum. I know we've talked before about the toaster museum, which is really cool. I I love toast. I could get by uh, a lot of meals on just toast, I think, and uh, as long as I had peanut butter or something to put on it. But there's so many of these wonderful, there's a mustard museum uh, somewhere in Wisconsin. Just about anything you can think of, there's a museum that covers it. But as far as I know, this is the only Hammer Museum. And people uh, that sign the book, they'll say, odd, dash, but wonderful. So they, we like <laughs> odd things, and so I'm proud to have my my name hanging there amongst the other hammers. So Do they have uh, the song "If I Had a Hammer" playing in the background? Then, you know, they don't. Oh, they and should. They, they should, and I bet there's several songs that they could incorporate in that. Uh, I don't know what they are because that's the only one I can think of too. But I'd hammer <laughs> out "Freedom" is yeah. uh, that'd be a great song. I was out, uh, worked out in a ship's graveyard uh, up by uh, the Upper Peninsula. I was in Paradise, and then I went to Whitefish Point. In every museum or anything that documented all these many deaths of people that were out on the sea or the ocean, there's sea there, uh, 
why don't we call it sea and ocean? It's a big lake is what it is, <laughs> Lake Superior, but everything is the sea or the ocean when people talk about it there. But it was uh, Gordon Lightfoot's The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Everywhere I went, I heard that, and it was a earworm that stuck with me for uh, about two weeks, I think. I liked the song, but it just got in the brain, and you couldn't get rid of it. It went over and over. So it's, uh, it was a fun place to be. I hope that everybody will come to the cafe today. <clears throat> the food chain, that's where the food chain is missing a few links. The special is always the Heimlich Maneuver and gravies considered a beverage and now featuring authentic leftovers with less hair in the food and real cup holders where grease is good and none of the food smells like feet. Well, hardly any. I used a necessary at a huge clinic, and I noticed a toilet paper. I noticed things like toilet paper because as a kid, I'd look through empty toilet paper tubes and discover land. There were two <laughs> rolls of toilet paper at the service of those in need. Now, we all know there are two ways to hang toilet paper. There's one way, of course, where you just sit it on the by the by the toilet just say there you go you deal with it however you want but if you have one of those nice dispensers there's two ways to hang toilet paper you over with a loose end draped over the top and under with a loose end hanging inside next to the wall one of the rolls was over and one was under <laughs> uh, unintended or was someone trying to please everyone no matter it's good to have choices i wondered if it was one ply or two ply <laughs> toilet paper is like many things i don't care which way it hangs as long as it's there you never know what you have until it's gone and boy that really applies to toilet paper a few days later i received a survey from that clinic with a request for completion if you leave your house, you're going to be asked to complete a survey. It's homework for grown-ups. And I read the survey twice. There wasn't a single question about toilet paper. <laughs> Remember, folks, Heartland as well, we're driving past. Thanks for listening to me. Do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird and think about getting those Christmas cards out early. Thank you, Karen, as always, for your wonderful company. Thank you, Al. We'll chat with you soon. Uh, have a great rest of your day. Bye-bye. Yep, you too. Bye-bye. All right.